Well, good morning. How's everyone doing today? Looks like most of you got a little patch of shade. Um, it is a little bit limited, but hopefully you found a spot and you are settled in. Um, welcome all those watching online. Hopefully you've got some shade as well. Um, my name is uh, Dell. I'm the senior pastor here at Long Grove Community Church, and it's good to be with all of you today. Yeah, we uh, definitely had a, a great week at VBS, as you've seen and heard a little bit. And I know you can tell, like, all the people that kind of served or volunteered this past week, they kind of have this, like, glazed look on their, uh, over their eyes, kind of like, wow, you know, we've survived this week. It was a great week. It's a lot of fun, but it's a lot of work and a lot of hours. And so, again, just a big thank you to everyone who uh, had any part in VBS. You, you are, uh, just did a wonderful job. And we couldn't do it without many, many hands, as Pastor Tony was shared earlier. So, again, another big thank you. Yeah, give another round of applause for sure. Well, we will be uh, continuing our, our series on Acts today. And um, how many here know what LGCC stands for? Okay, we have three people. Um, I'm glad you found the place. If you did not know, LGCC stands for Long Grove Community Church. And, you know, uh, there's a, a word in our name that is very important, and we're going to be talking about that today, and that's the word community. Uh, community is very important. It's very much a part of uh, our life here, of, of ministry. As we said, you know, we couldn't have done VBS without community. Um, but in our culture, though, as a, as a Western culture here in America, we don't always have this community mindset, do we? We're, we're very individualistic culture, where it's kind of we see ourselves, what we do, and we sometimes miss maybe how it affects others. And understanding this idea or, or kind of shifting our brain towards what community is is sometimes challenging for us. You know, as many of you know, I, I was in the military, I was in the army, and I, I remember uh, the first time when I walked uh, in, in the, my training days, this was, and when I walked into the bathroom, I noticed something was missing. You all are scared now, aren't you? Like, where is this going to go? You never know with me. But I walked into the bathroom and I realized I looked around and there were no walls in the bathroom. Yep. And so there's all these toilets lined up. And I'm not talking about the stand-up kind, guys. I'm talking about the sit-down ones. And I'm like, look around like, you know, this isn't going to work out. <laughs> this was not in the fine print, you know, when I signed and everything. And it's, you know, there's, there's just some things that should be sacred, you know. And I think church is one of them and going to the bathroom by yourself is the other. That's just my thought anyway. Um, and so, you know, you hold it for as long as you can, but there comes a point where you just have to go. And so nothing builds community like sitting down next to another individual um, handling your business, right? And, you know, it's, it's really awkward at first, but then you find yourself, you have some great conversations. And so I've put it to the elders here that I think we're going to take the walls out of the bathrooms here to help us with the community here. I hope that's okay with everybody. Now, you guys, no, I don't think it's going to work. Well, I'm just, I'm kidding if you guys didn't understand that, but uh, we are not going to take the walls out of the bathrooms quite yet, but, um, but it is something about when you have these moments that are intimate, for lack of a better term, and you have to share it with somebody else and how that builds community. Um, in the military, again, it's all about a, a brotherhood, a brother and sisterhood. It it's a, becomes a family. You literally do everything together, even those things I just mentioned. And so, again, it builds this uh, closeness and this tight-knitness, uh, and it's, it's important. But again, in our culture, we're just not used to that. 
we're just not used to being uh, in this uh, kind of mindset, really, of community. And I want to share as I start today, uh, there, there's three types of cultures, and I maybe have shared this before, but I'll touch on it again. Um, there's a book out there called The 3D Gospel, and it's very good, and it talks about these three types of cultures and, and how the amazing part of how Scripture ministers in its own way to each one of these cultures. The first one is the culture that we live in, which is called a guilt-innocence culture. And uh, the author of this book, uh, J- Jason Georges, he defines our culture, guilt innocence, this way. It's, it's, guilt innocence cultures are individualistic societies, mostly Western, where people who break the laws are guilty and seek justice and forgiveness to rectify a wrong. Okay? And so in, in this culture, in our culture, we're called the guilt innocence culture. And again, we see ourselves as individuals, don't we? You know, we may have a family, but most of us, you know, maybe down in the South, maybe things are maybe a little tighter. But many of us, we don't, we, we don't think of like our, our maybe how our decisions affect others. We think, well, it it's affects me personally, how this uh, will affect my life. Um, but then there's another culture, which is a shame-honor culture. And these are cultures, uh, they describe uh, collectivistic cultures. And these are common in the East, where my family and I lived for almost 10 years. And this is where people are shamed for not fulfilling group expectations, and they seek to restore their honor before the community. And again, I've seen it, and it's, there's uh, many cultures uh, in the East that they will do anything. Uh, they're very mindful of how their decisions affect their families, how their decisions will affect their brothers, sisters, parents, grandparents, grandparents the, the, the family name. Where, again, for us, it's, it's much more, how does it affect me? And we don't always see kind of the bigger picture. And lastly, there's a, a culture, it's a fear power culture, which refers to um, animistic context. And these are usually tribal or in Africa or African. And they're where people are afraid of human, or sorry, evil and harm. And they pursue power over the spirit world through magical rituals. Okay, and so this is another culture, but we don't have as much of that here um, uh, going on. But again, there's these three types of cultures. And as we look at these cultures, uh, we see the very different approaches or views, if you will, of how we uh, live out our lives. And so these, these different cultures, these three cultures are like group personalities. And uh, again, the author here, he goes on, and he says, this is, it defines how people view the world. Just as individual people have a personality, right? We all, how many have personalities here? Okay, yep. All of them are showing. <laughs> personalities, we call it a personality. Well, there's a lot, uh, again, of cultures that their groups, these cultural groups have a groupality is what they call it, a groupality. And this refers to an organized pattern of behavior uh, or behavioral characteristic of a group. And so, again, there's, there's this idea of, of groupality and, and, and having this thought of how, does, how do we live life together? How do my decisions affect others? And so we have to be very intentional here in our Western culture to read in Scripture and as we read these accounts to understand where that's coming from and see how we fit. So in your Bibles, if you have them, I would invite you to turn to Acts chapter 4. How many were here last week? How many uh, enjoyed uh, Luke? I almost called you Pastor Luke, wherever you're at. Oh, how many enjoyed Luke and the message he brought? Yeah, it was great. Very thought-provoking, and I hope that uh, you went home and, and, and wrestled with some of those things that he shared. Um, but picking up basically where he had left off in Acts chapter 4, beginning in verse 32, it says, Now the full number of those who believed were of one heart and soul. 
And no one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own, and they had everything in common. And with great power, the apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. There was not a needy person among them, for as many as were owners of lands and houses sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold and laid it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to each as any had need. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you, Lord, for your word. I thank you so much, God, just that we can gather together today, that, we, that you have a message for us, uh, Lord, from your word, God, for us, for our hearts to change. God, I pray that you continue, Lord, to make us more like you. And God, I pray that you continue to birth, Lord, uh, just, just this community mindset, Lord, in each and every one of us. And so we thank you for what you have today. In Jesus' name, amen. So, as we read through this passage, I'm sure, you know, a lot of people are like, oh, great, that's going to be a message on I need to give more. I got to go out and sell my house and give everything, bring it here and lay it at the pastor's feet. That's not where we're going today. Because frankly, you know, God is, cares much more about having your heart than he does having your wallet, than he does having your possessions. Because really, what are our possessions to God anyway? It's, it's nothing. We're not taking them from, from this world to the next. And, and so God is really after our heart. And so as we look at this account here, we see some very important things, and especially keep in mind in the mindset that this is the beginnings of the church, the early church. And we're getting a, a kind of a snapshot, an in, a picture on the inside of the community and maybe how things were happening and functioning. And so, you know, again, as we begin, we see something here happening, and, and um, we see what we see is great things happening. Two things in particular, and that's one is there's a great unity and a great generosity happening. A great unity and a great generosity in verse 32. Notice how it begins there. It says, now the full number of those who believed were of one heart and soul. What is this saying to us today? It's saying that, you know, there needs to be unity within the church. And, and sadly today, not just talking about our church, but the church as a whole, I think there's probably more disunity than ever, especially in America, because we get hung up on issues that really have no eternal value, and we see divisions, we see complaining about, you know, whatever it is, it maybe the color of the carpet, and somebody wants to go start a new church because they wanted red carpet instead of blue carpet or something. There's churches on every corner. Now, not every church's story is that like that, but we see this, this happening and we see this kind of moving away of what it is to be of one heart and one soul. Paul writes in, in, in his letter to, to the Romans, in uh, Romans 12, verse 5, he says, So we, though many, are one body in Christ and individually members one of another. Again, you see this, this imagery of, of a human body, right? And, and how many, you know, you, you have a, a body, don't you? Do you have a pinky toe? Yes, right? A very important one that lets you know where every bit of furniture is in your home. Um, you, have, you have a thumb, you have an elbow, and they all have different purposes, don't they? But they are all a part of one body, aren't they? When everything is moving, you know, in, in sync, you know, your body moves in one direction as directed by the head in which you're thinking. In Philippians 2, verses 1 through 2, it says this, it says, So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy, and here it comes, by being of the same mind, having the same love, and being in full accord and of one mind. 
again throughout Scripture and especially the New Testament and the early church, we see this theme happening. And I truly believe because at the beginning there was so much persecution that they didn't have time to get caught up in silly, trivial things, did they? Because literally their lives were on the line. When they would say yes to Jesus, they basically they gave their life away knowing that they could end up being martyred. They could be crucified for just professing Jesus as Lord and Savior. And so there was this deep sense of unity that came about, and they knew what they were on mission to do. But see, unity in the church today, a.k.a., remember, the body of Christ, it can only happen by us being present here, can it? It can only happen as we are present and engaged in the church body. And this message is, is for every church everywhere. When you say that I belong to that congregation, when you say that I'm a part or I'm a member of that church, I'm a regular attender of that church, you are committing yourself to the body of Christ and to what is happening and to that community. And that means, just like with family, the good, the bad, and the ugly, right? I'm sure all of us here have family members and we've been in arguments before and we've had disagreements before, but at the end of the day, as they always say, you're still family, right? I know all of us have probably that one uncle that we wish we could maybe disown and, you know, set off to the side and not bring out into public very often. But he's still family, isn't he? That's, that's the beauty of family, and that is the beauty of the body of Christ, but it only happens as we are engaged. You see, it's more than just Sunday morning that we see in this early church. These early believers were doing life together. Doing life together. And again, we, we have this, this strange definition of church, especially in America, where this is church, right? We come, to, we come to this location on Sunday morning to the church building. But the reality is, is, is the church is not a place, is it, or a structure. The reality is, is all of these eyeballs staring at me right now is the church. All of you make up the church. Do you understand that? That's why we're meeting out here in the grass. You know why? Because we don't need to be in the building to have church, do we? We could go anywhere and we could have church if we are together and we are of one mind. And so it is good for you to be a part of the body of Christ. It is good for you to be belong here to the community here at the church. And now with that comes a warning, of course, that we do not want to become so immersed, I guess, in the church culture, I would say, that we become insulated and isolated from culture and from people that need to hear the good news of the gospel. That's the other extreme where all we do is hang out with our Christian friends, all we do is hang out, you know, with the church folk, and we're never actually going out and doing what we saw the early church doing. You see, it goes on in in verse 32, it says, no one said that any of, of the things that belonged to him was his own but that they had everything in common. Now, again, this isn't saying that no one could own anything. It's not saying that we have to give up everything and sell everything and we'll all move out here onto the lawn and just live life together. Does that sound fun? No, it's okay to say no. I'm not going to judge you, right? It's, it's okay. We're, we, want, we, we, have, we need our space at times, and it's okay to have stuff. God has blessed us. He's given you abilities. He's given you a job. Uh, be able to provide for your family. That's all great. But, but it's, it's something that's, this, this is talking about something much more than just money. You know, as we've heard it said before, it's not about things and stuff and possessions. It's not about having those things, is it? It's the problem comes is when those things have us. 
and we don't even realize it. Anybody here ever owned a boat or own a boat? Wow, this analogy is going to go really well today. Okay, so for all three of you, I've never had one either, so I'm in, I'm in good company. But they say, and you guys that have had boats or have boats, they say that the two greatest days are when you buy your boat and when you sell your boat, right? Is that, have you heard that before? Because there is so much upkeep, there's so many things that you have to do. Like if you're going to go to the lake for the day, you've got to start, you know, and get all your stuff ready and do all your checks. And there's so much to keeping a boat. And there's so much that goes into it that pretty much it almost consumes you and, and it becomes a, a greater uh, burden to you than a blessing. We, we don't have a bowl, but we have something in our house called a PlayStation. And I don't know if any of you have this too, but you know, this is supposed to be a blessing to our kids and it ends up turning into like, you know, WWE and stuff like wrestling and arguments and who gets what time and who won. And, and then pretty soon it's just like, I just want to take it and chuck it out the window. Because it's no longer serving its purpose of helping and being entertaining for us. And so for all of us here as well, it's, it's when we have things, those things are fine. But we need to always be asking ourselves, do those things have us? Are we committed to our stuff? You know, I wake up on Sunday morning and I see my neighbors, I wave and they're out, you know, mowing the lawn and trimming the trees and doing all their stuff, you know, because this home that they have now has become like, it's got to be pristine and you have competition with your neighbors on whose house is going to look better and whose flowers are better. And so it can become consuming, can it? But there comes a time where we have to stop and say, okay, what is most important? And is this thing consuming me? Is this thing becoming almost an idol or a God to me? God doesn't mind us having wealth or stuff. The issue comes with how generous we are with these things. Let me tell you something, regardless of what you see on the news, our nation is very blessed. And when I say that, we are blessed with material wealth. We are blessed with, uh, I mean, just, you can go, if you want to go to the desert, you can go there. If you want to go to the mountains, if you want to go to the, the forest, whatever you want to do, the beach, you can find it here. Our resources in this nation are so amazing. And we truly are uh, uh, very blessed to be living in America. But we need to make sure that we are sharing and we are being a blessing to other people with those things, with the, the access that we have and, and, and all the stuff. You see, again, this is talking about sharing all the things that they own. They had everything in common. It's talking about much more than just wealth or possessions. If I can, I want to drop back for a moment to Acts chapter 2. We've covered a, a number of weeks back. And read a couple of verses, verses 44 through 47, and listen to this. And you hear these themes throughout Acts, right? Verse 44, it says, And all who believed were together and had all things in common. It sounds very similar to what we just read, doesn't it? Verse 45, And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all, as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Now, when you read through this, and if you even go back a few verses, if you have your Bibles open, uh, you can see there's a lot of ands here. <laughs> It's just like this, this, this sandwich, you know, like you're building this double-decker double sandwich or, or something. You're, you're stacking all these things on top. And so in ver verse 44, it starts with, and together, and, and they had all things in common. And it goes on in ver 45, and they were selling their possessions. In verse 46, and they were attending the temple together. Verse 47, 
or sorry, verse 46 as well. And they were breaking bread in their homes. And this is talking about meals, sharing meals together, not just the Lord's Supper. And in verse 47, it says, And the Lord added to their number day by day. And they were adding not, not just church shoppers, they were adding salvations. People actually coming to know Jesus as Lord and Savior. What does this all mean? It means, again, that they were walking together through life. They were sharing their lives together. It, it, meant, it means that they were showing up. It means that they were committed. It means that they were bought into what was going on. And it means they didn't just attend church, but instead they understood that they were the church. You see, as we look at this picture, we can see very clearly that it meant that they understood that they could only be the church, not as individuals, but as community. And some of you are sitting here like, wow, I sure picked a great Sunday to come to church today. <laughs> but this is a message that we need to hear, isn't it? This is a message that we need to be reminded of every single day, that we are part of something much greater Individually, we make up the body of Christ here at Long Grove Community Church. And the body of Christ here at Long Grove Community Church makes up the body of the capital C Church globally. We are all part of a, a community in one way or another. And so what was the result of this community and the way that they were living and sharing their life and being generous with one another and walking day by day with each other? Well, it resulted in two things, and that's in verse 33, was of great power and great grace from God came on the scene. And as I sit there and I think about what are, what are some amazing things that I would love to experience here at this church, and I think everybody would raise their hand to, I would love to see more of God's grace, and I would love to see more of God's power show up and show out at this church. That's what the world's looking for. The world's not looking for eloquent words because there are many people out there that can say things very eloquently and, very, and sound very good, but it has no life in it and the words are dead. Because you know why I know this is because as we look at scripture and we look at these 12 men who were chosen, they were not 12 men who were highly educated. They were simply 12 men that were with Jesus every single day. And from that, people saw the evidence people understood that their words were life-giving because they were not coming from themselves. They were coming from God. And so again, in verse 33, and with great power, the apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus and great grace was upon them all. I don't know about you, but I need a lot more grace in my life from God. <laughs> On a daily basis, I need grace. And here we see this picture, and we kind of see, I don't like to say that there's formulas in the Bible, but if you want to see great grace, <laughs> and you want to experience great power, then you've got to, you've got to be walking in great unity and great generosity. In 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 9, it says, But he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. How many of us love admitting when we're weak? <laughs> How many of us love admitting like, man, I need help. I can't do this on my own. How many of us just think, like, you know what? If I can't do it on my own, then I'm just not going to do it. But you know what's amazing? And you can all just smile and nod at me. You don't have to actually raise your hands. 
But it's amazing when we're like that, how God just has his way of humbling us, doesn't he? He brings us to these places where we come to the end of ourselves. And he brings us to this place where everyone around us sees that there's no way that you could have done this on your own. Why? So that he receives all the glory and all the honor, and he's able to pour his spirit out, and his power is made perfect as we are found in our place of weakness. In Hebrews 4.16, it says, Let us then, with confidence, draw near to the throne of what? Of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace. And how do we as sinful people draw near to this throne? Most importantly, it's through Jesus Christ and the work of the cross, isn't it? But there's something more. Let's, let's check out a few more things. First Peter 4.10, it says, As each of us has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Again, we are supposed to walk out and we are supposed to be generous with our gifts, not just of monetary things, but of who we are as a person. Do you know that each of you are created by God with certain gifts and talents? Rachel was up here this morning playing the violin. You would not want to hear me try to play the violin. It would sound like, you know, a dying animal or something. Why? Because I've not been given that gift. And I know she's probably worked at that, but, you know, again, all of us bring gifts, bring things with us to the table when we're a part of the community and the body of Christ. You see... And as I was saying, you know, we, we read this scripture of drawing near and, and drawing near to the throne of grace. But again, the call to the people of God today is the same as it has been for all time. And that's this, it's to be holy and to be set apart. And I'm here to tell you today that that comes not through our own efforts, does it? We can't do that on our own, but there is still a part that we play. We are called not to stay in the same place that we were when God found us. And listen, I, I understand that, that <laughs> this is a message, maybe a little bit challenging today, but, but this is a message that we need to hear. This is a message that I needed to hear. That God, again, he, we, we cannot wear where we were as a, as a badge of honor, if you will. We, can't, we cannot walk in our, this place of, of brokenness. God wants to heal us from those things, and God wants to bring us from where we were to where he wants us to be. We can't continue to live in those places of sin over and over. Now, I'm not talking about making a mistake. We're not perfect people. We're going to fall and we're going to make mistakes. But the thing is, is we can't sit there and just repeat that sin over and over and over and over and somehow expect God to be there in his, in his power and be able to, to, to approach the throne of grace, if you will. Too many of us, again, we live one way, you know, Monday through Saturday, and then we come in on Sunday and we expect it all to be made right, and then we go out and just do whatever we did before. You know the amazing thing of everyone that came in contact with Jesus? Is they left changed. And shouldn't our testimony, our, the testimony of our lives, be visible to others? Shouldn't people know that there's something different because there's life in us, and that life is Jesus Christ? See, Jesus came to show us that there is a way that we can be found holy before God and it only comes through him. We mustn't, mustn't make the mistake of thinking we can just live however we want. Has anybody ever um, 
you know, gotten a flat tire here and you, you go to your trunk or somebody who goes to your trunk and you pull out that little donut spare tire. Anybody ever had one of those or used one of those? Yeah. You put that on your car, and if you ever see one going down the road, it looks crazy, right? You see, like, these big, these three big tires, and then you see this little tiny donut. And on that donut, if you ever read it, uh, again, I'm talking about tires, not the things you eat. Some of you guys are like, man, donuts sound pretty good right now. At least that's what I thought. But donut on the car, this tire, if you read it, it says, like, you can't, you're not supposed to go over a certain speed. And basically, the purpose of the donut tire is to get you <laughs> to the station so you can get the, the tire that's supposed to be on there fixed, right? Now, I don't know if I want to ask for a show of hands, but how many of us, and you can just keep your hands down, have driven on that donut tire much longer than we're supposed to? <laughs> you know, it's like, well, it's working. Why do I need to hurry up and get to the station, you know? And like, you know, three months later, you're still driving around with this donut tire, waiting for the thing, and then it ends up blowing out, and you end up having to finally change your tire. But we're not supposed to. We're not designed, again, to go around with that tire on there all the time. And the same way in our lives is, is when, we, when we sin or when we fall or when we fail, we're not designed to kind of keep limping along with that sin in our lives. Like, like God's going to keep like, okay, you know, don't, don't go over this speed or, you know, just go a little further. I can go a little further on this. It's not a big deal. Until one day that tire blows because it was never intended to stay on there and you end up in a ditch. And, and God, you know, it, it, he wants us to take our, our sin, this stuff that we're wrestling with and bring it to him and continue to work and to trust that he is working in us so that we can find victory over the sin in our lives so that we can come to him and be in relationship with him. Again, when you're a Christian, you're not going to lose your relationship but just because you sin. But if you can choose to continue to sin, you're not living life to its fullest because how can God bless that? How can God get behind that? How can God pour out his, his spirit on you? And how can you, you know, again, everything we see in, in Acts, it's, they were full of the spirit, right? They were doing what they were supposed to do, but it's because they were walking in stride with God. And now we come to the second half of this this scripture that we're going to, this, this, this uh, text today. And unfortunately, there's a, it, it changes chapters on us, but it should have all been in, in one section. So it's, it's a little confusing. But what we're going to see now is we're going to see a couple of specific examples played out. And you're going to kind of see these two sides of someone that's doing it right and a couple of people that are doing it wrong. And so we're going to read through this and then, and then we'll kind of unpack a little bit as, as we wrap up. Some of you will be familiar with this account as well. But uh, continuing, uh, picking back up in verse 36, it goes on, it says, Thus Joseph, who was also called by the apostles Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, a Levite, a native of Cyprus, sold a field that belonged to him and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. Okay? So here's this snapshot. Here's this picture of this man. You know, again, it says a field, you know, it, it might, he might have had multiple things. We don't know. But whatever it was, he took the money, he took all of it, and he brought it and laid it at the apostles' feet and said, I want to give this. I want it to be used and do with it what you need and, and help others and whatever. Because God, you know, he felt that that's what God had called him to do. It's what God told him to do. And so he wanted to do that, and he did it with a whole heart. And it's a beautiful picture because it's a picture of generosity. It's a picture that, you know what, I don't, I don't need this. And so here, take it and give it to somebody who does. Now, 
we're going to see the other side and the other picture. And again, this is the familiar account for most of us. It goes on in verse 5, it says, But a man named Ananias, with his wife Sapphira, sold a piece of property, and with his wife's knowledge, again, she wasn't in the dark, she knew full, full what was going on, he kept back from, for himself some of the proceeds. It's kind of bad he didn't share it with her, right? I mean, it says he kept it for him. <laughs> but he kept it back for himself some of the proceeds and brought, brought only a part of it and laid it at the apostles' feet. And in verse 3, it says, But Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and to keep back for yourself part of the proceeds of the land? While it remained unsold, did it not remain your own? And after it was sold, was it not at your disposal? Why is it that you have contrived this deed in your heart? You have not lied to man, but to God. In verse 5, here it gets real. When Ananias heard these words, he fell down and breathed his last. And great fear came upon all who heard of it. In verse 6, the young men rose up or rose and wrapped him up and carried him out and buried him. After an interval of about three hours, his wife came in, not knowing what had happened. And Peter said to her, tell me whether you sold the land for so much. And she said, yes, for so much. But Peter said to her, How is it that you have agreed together to test the spirit of the Lord? Behold, the feet of those who have buried your husband are at the door, and they will carry you out. Immediately she fell down at his feet and breathed her last. When the young men came in, they found her dead, and they carried, out, carried her out and buried her beside her husband. And great fear came upon the whole church and upon all who heard of these things. It's a pretty sobering account, isn't it? And it shows, you know, again, that, that there is, God is holy. And here are these, this, this, this husband and wife, and they come in and they, they present something. You know, again, for most people, it's like, wow, at least they gave something. But it wasn't about what they were giving. It was about what was in their heart. You see, uh, back in verse 31 last week, uh, as, as Luke was sharing, it talked about, and we've heard this, this phrase many times, that they were filled with the Holy Spirit. People were filled with the Holy Spirit in all these times. And whenever uh, things happened, you know, we saw Peter standing up and giving these messages. He was full of the Holy Spirit. And here in, in verse 3 of chapter 5, we see this very different and, and a contrast. And it says that here, here this man was filled in his heart by Satan. Satan filled his heart, not the Holy Spirit. And again, that is something that's very sobering. And it shows us that we are at war. There is, there is not this dabbling on this side or that side, or I'm just not pursuing Christ, you know. It's there, there is either you're full of the Holy Spirit, or there is room for other things to fill your heart. And here, again, this, this couple brings this, this offering, this money. But it says, again, as he calls Ananias, he says, why has your heart been filled with Satan? It didn't seem like maybe a big deal. And in fact, there was nothing wrong with the portion that they were giving. The problem was in their heart, wasn't it? The problem was, is that they presented it as if it were all that they had gotten. Again, God is not looking for X amount of dollars. God is not looking for this or for that. Again, he wants your heart. 
And these, this, this couple had allowed Satan to come in. And, and so they presented their offering as if it was everything. And they wanted the attention. They wanted this, this look of being generous. They were probably seeing other people who had this generous uh, you know, gift to, that they were giving to, to the, the apostles for the use to help those that needed it. And they're like, wow, I want that attention too. And so they come in and they just give a partial. But again, it's how they presented it. They lost sight that they were still worshiping a holy God. And it cost them their lives. It cost them their lives. You see, again, God is calling for us to be generous with everything we do with ourselves, with our time, with our resources. And God will, he will put on your heart what to give. And you know what's amazing in my experience in ministry is so many times those who have much <laughs> tend to give very little. And I've seen people that have very little and they are some of the most generous people I've ever met. Why? Because it, it all, it's just, it's just resource, it's just stuff. They know God has provided and God will provide again. And I want to challenge each of us today, myself included, to not put our hope in things and in stuff and in the promotion and in the job and in all the stuff that we've acquired because, frankly, all that stuff can be wiped away in a moment. Instead, our hope always has to come back to God. Our, our resource, our source of strength of everything has to come back to God. In our life, you know, with my, my wife and my family, you know, we've, we've been in many seasons of life where we literally depended on God for, for the very next thing. We could not do it on our own. We were at the end of our resources of everything, and somehow God would always come through in a way that only he could, and he got the glory for it. As we prepare to, to close today and wrap up, if you could just stay with me just a few more moments, I, I want to just work through this, this part as we bring everything together. I'm going to share this with you today because this is what I believe God has put on my heart, and, and it, it, it challenged me, and, it, and it's kind of slapped me in the face, and it, it hurt my feelings a little bit. But here's the deal. Many people today in the American church they think they can have a relationship with God, but not with his church. They believe that they can have a relationship with God, but not with the body of Christ. And what I mean by that is that, again, show up on a Sunday every now and then, you know, maybe send a little bit of money in every now and then. But that's not what God has is, is called us to. That's not what the church is supposed to be. You see, when we come to God, we do so by entering into relationship with Jesus Christ, don't we? Any of you out there today that have professed Jesus as Lord and Savior are in a relationship with Jesus. Do you know what the church is called? I've said it a few times. The church is called the body of Christ. Now, I don't know about you, but I don't think you can have a relationship with just the head of a person without the rest of the person. It just doesn't work, does it? 
And so to have a relationship with Jesus, when we say, yes, I am, I am a child of God, I have been saved, and I'm in relationship with Jesus Christ. And for, if you say that, but you never are present and you never are plugged into the community at the church, then I don't know exactly what it is that's going on there. Because you can't have one without the other. You see, it is there, it's impossible to have relationship with Jesus without being submersed in the body of Christ. But many in the church today still see the church as a place to simply come on a Sunday instead of realizing that we are the church. Not individually. <laughs> Together, we make up the church. We are the body of Christ, aren't we? Many today don't engage in the community of the church. They don't understand how their acceptance of sin in their lives hinders the outpouring of God's spirit and power. You see, when you are a part of this body, a part of the body of Christ, how you live your life affects the body. Again, you can be bit on your back of your leg and the whole body is going to ache, isn't it? Something can happen to one thing, but the whole body feels it. Henry Nouwen he wrote this, and I want to share this with you, this quote. And he's talking about, he starts out, he says, often we think about sexuality as a private affair, and these days it's much more open than it used to be. But when you listen to this, I want you not to listen just about, it's not just about sexuality, it's about sin in general. And he says this, he says, often we think about our sexuality as a private affair. Sexual fantasies, sexual thoughts, sexual actions are seen as belonging to the private life of a person. But the distinction between the private and the public sphere of life is a false distinction. In the Christian life, the distinction between a private life, just for me, and the public life for the others does not exist. For the Christian, even the most hidden fantasies, thoughts, feelings, emotions, and actions are a service or a disservice to the community. I can never say what I think, feel, or do in my private time is nobody else's business. It is everybody's business. What is, what is he getting at here? He's getting at the fact that we are called, again, to live a life that is holy. And we have to have the perspective that what we do in private and how we live our lives affects the body of Christ as a whole. Is that making sense? We are called to live holy, church. We are called to be set apart. And I believe God is pleading with us today that we, the sin has to be pushed out. Many of us here want to see miracles happen. Many of us here want to see something more than just coming in and going out in the status quo. People all over the world right now, churches are seeing the outpouring of God's spirit. Why? Because sin has been pushed out. That is not a, a thing that they're dealing with. Why? Because they're on mission. And my heart to you today, my message to you today as your pastor is that we would become a church that goes on mission and takes the good news of the gospel and takes it to where it is needed. There is a dying world out there that needs to hear the good news. And we will either be left on the sidelines watching 
saying, man, I wish I were a part of that. Man, I wish that God would do that in our church. Because you know what? God wants to do it here. Maybe you didn't come here today to, to hear this message. And God bless you. I, I hope you're hearing something today. But I truly believe with all my heart that God has much greater things for this church as we go forward. But it's not going to happen until we are committed here as a community to the body of Christ and we are committed to one another to live holy outside of this place. That we flee from sin, that we trust that God can redeem us and set us free. There's two phrases I've used before. I'm going to remind you of today. One is personal responsibility. Each and every one of us as the body of Christ have a personal responsibility to the person sitting to your left and to your right. We have a personal responsibility in how we live our lives, knowing that it affects everything that happens here in ministry. We have a responsibility to be in the Word of God. Again, we have this thing in our minds where, you know, if I don't spend time in the Word this week, it's not a big deal. It's not going to hurt anybody. But then you roll up in here, and your, your tank is on E, isn't it? <laughs> and we're looking to be filled. Imagine if we came here already filled and what God would do as we gather together. I believe we would see great things start to happen. But we have a personal responsibility. And the second thing is that we have mutual accountability meaning we live our lives in community. We live our lives transparent one to another. When we're struggling, we need to say, hey, I'm struggling. I need help. When we're doing all right, then we need to be looking for somebody that needs that, needs that boost, don't we? Personal responsibility and mutual accountability. Listen, the day and age that we're living and what I'm seeing on the, in the news and where I'm seeing churches ending up. It could happen. It could happen here. <laughs> but I promise you this as your pastor that it's not going to happen on my watch. That we will always be in the word of God. We will always be pursuing the things of God and we will always be getting out and pushing the envelope, if you will, because we are not going to stand by and watch the world just go into flames. It may end up in flames at some point, but it's not going to be because we sat on the sidelines and watched it happen. And so this message is a hard message today, but I want to leave you encouraged in the sense of God is, is here and God is ready and God wants to use you. He wants to use me and he wants to use this church to do amazing things. Not just here in Long Grove, but I believe in a much bigger scale. Sometimes we shortchange God and what God wants to do. But it's only going to happen, church, when we come together in unity, in one mind, and of one accord, and, and be audaciously aggressive against sin and getting rid of it and pushing it out. Trusting that God will take it from us. Trusting that God in the work of the cross is enough to set us free from whatever it is that we are in bondage to. Would you bow your heads? Heavenly Father, I thank you, Lord, for today. I thank you for this message. God, I thank you, Lord, at, at this picture that we've seen, Lord, of what community looks like in the church, what it is, Lord, and what our responsibility is. God, I pray that you challenge us today to get outside of our minds and thinking that we are just an individual amongst many people. 
but Lord God, that to see for ourselves, Lord God, that we are what makes up together the body of Christ. Forgive us, Lord, where we have grown accustomed and comfortable, Lord, with the sin in our life. God, convict us. Convict our hearts, Lord God, in those places that need to change. And again, God, there are places and many of those places we cannot do it on our own, and we recognize that. God, forgive us of our pride to think that we can handle it on our own. God, let us truly cry out to you to set us free, Lord, to give us the strength, Lord, to overcome those things. And God, one by one, as we come to this place, Lord, of serving you and walking in stride with you, again, not in perfection, Lord God, but God, that there would be a closeness to you. God, in, the, in that place of closest, Lord God, your grace abounds and flows readily so that when we do fall, when we do trip, and when we do make a mistake, Lord God, your forgiveness is there, your grace is there, your mercy is there. God, let us know the discomfort of selling ourselves short of the fullness of your spirit. God, let us be a church, let us be a people, Lord God, who, who loves you and serves you above all else, whether it's in the privacy of our homes or in the public eye for all to see. God, I pray that we are the same. God, for those of us, Lord, who are, are battling, Lord, sins that maybe they're, they're secret sins, Lord God, God, I pray that, that you would show us, Lord, how to bring those to the, to the open, to expose those things. God, to ask for help, to ask for prayer. God, I thank you that you have called us by name, Lord, that you have created us, Lord, to, to fulfill our call and, 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 and what you've designed us to do, Lord, as part of your body. For God, we know that you are greater and bigger. And if we don't say, here I am, Lord, send me, choose me. Lord God, we know that you will make a way through someone else. But God, we ask, Lord, that you would be patient with us. And God, that we would truly stand and say, Lord, use me. Use me for your glory, Lord. God, I thank you for this message today, God, and I pray that it does not fall just on our ears, Lord God, but that it has burrowed its way into our hearts to take root and to take hold, and God, that we might be changed. And God, I pray for each and every person here in this, this grass, and this lawn, Lord God, all those watching online, Lord God, wherever they are, God, that they would know that you are present. God, that they would, they would see, Lord, uh, how great and how good and how big you are. And whatever situation they're facing, whatever challenge, whatever trial, whatever sin it is, Lord God, I pray, Lord, that they would recognize that their God is much greater. Give us a hunger for your word, Lord God. And may we be a church, Lord God. May we be vessels, Lord God, that you can pour your spirit out on to the place of overflowing, that we would truly have an impact, Lord on the world around us. In the mighty name of Jesus.
And all God's people said, amen. Amen. Would you stand?